great day. And uh, how many of you are ready for spring break? You ready? I'm ready. And uh, one of the neat things about the academic schedule is it has very clear starts and stops and breaks. And uh, so we have a break coming up. And uh, a little word of uh, fatherly pastoral advice. If you're traveling, be careful. If you're the driver, be responsible. <laughs> and have a great break. And uh, see you in a week when we all convene and come back together. This, um, I don't know whose idea, Nick, it was to um, have these videos and to show, but we need to give um, an award, like the Idea of the Year Award, for that idea. It is um, uh, just, uh, each, each week when we've done this, just been so meaningful to me uh, to see graduates of North Central and a little video so you can see them and um, hear them talk just a little bit, catch a bit of their heart, and uh, see what they're doing. And uh, did you say in that video, there's hope, <clears throat> yeah, there is hope for the future and for the preparation you are doing now and what it will enable you to do later. It's just a tremendous thing. So let's, I'd, let's find out who, that, who had that idea. We'll give them a cupcake and a slap on the back and uh, you know, because uh, it's really a great thing. I appreciate it. And I asked him for his prayer card, and all good missionaries have their missionary card or their prayer card with them. And uh, Diane and I collect these so that we can look at the cards and uh, see a picture of a family, Jim and Megan Wolf, and Savannah, Ashley, and Luke. And uh, it's wonderful. So we're glad you're here. And to help us be reminded of why we are here and what God does through us while we are here. And then as we leave, to go to the far corners of the globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put up the first slide if you can. Today I'm going to be dealing with phase three of revival. The three phases of revival. And um, to summarize quickly... So often when people talk about revival, they, they get images in their mind of the Azusa Street Mission where services went on day and night constantly 24-7 for three years. Or Cane Ridge in Kentucky where people came, camped out, and um, multiple preachers preaching at once in various places, thousands of people. And uh, you would call it exuberant, enthusiastic, uh, maybe frenetic um, activity. That is one part of revival. But it's only one part. That's phase two, and we have dealt a bit with that the last time I spoke. But the notion of revival or revival is the life of God in the people of God to make the people like God. I mean, that's a definition, isn't it? The life of God and the people of God to make those people like God. Reviving is bringing something back to life. Now, theologically, I, I do not agree with the technical definition of revival that way, bringing something back to life, okay? Because that would mean that something that is alive can die, 
and then be brought back to life again. You put that into your spiritual life, it means someone who is saved can lose their salvation and then gain that salvation back, and then maybe lose it again and gain it back, and then maybe lose it again and gain it back. And uh, this would be the apostasy uh, renewal uh, up and down chart that could uh, represent the people of God in the Old Testament. And if you know the history of the Old Testament, it's just really amazing. The people would draw close to God, then they'd fall away into idolatry. Then they'd draw close to God and fall away into idolatry. And that notion that revival is bringing something back to life, uh, I think it's extremely problematic and it is misleading. I am not an eternal security um, Calvinist. I do believe you can lose your salvation. I really do believe that. But it isn't something you lose and gain and lose and gain and lose and gain and lose and gain and get and... You know. No, that's not what's going on in this whole issue of revival. So on another uh, situation I may deal with, uh, the condition of the person who needs quote-unquote revival. <clears throat> Actually, I think a better way to see it is they are people who are technically still alive. They're still saved. They're still justified. They're still going to heaven. But they have fallen asleep, and they act like they're dead, and they're absolutely worthless, and they need to wake up and get with the program. That's, I think, another way of defining what happens in periods of revival. I would hate to think that people could get and lose their salvation that quickly, that frequently, and that would become a pattern of life. I would really hate to think of that. Um, in, our, in our day now, <clears throat> we do not have the frequent revival services that used to characterize churches, even going back maybe 25 um, or 30 years. That's when things began to change. But in my growing up years, churches would often have three revivals a year, okay? Have the fall revival, and then you have the spring revival, and then you have summer, perhaps, uh, camp meeting and revival. But there's something very dangerous about that. There's something very good about it. But it would almost imply that three times a year you're going to fall asleep, become worthless, and need to be reawakened to what it means to be a Christian, right? But actually, it could make sense. You know, the fall revival. Well, that occurs uh, shortly after school has gotten back into session, and you're all worn out. And, uh, and if you're a farmer, you brought in the crop, so you're tired and you're weary. And so what do you need? You need revival, okay? And so you get all revived in the fall. Then the holidays come. You eat too much at Thanksgiving. The relatives come at Christmas. You lose your sanctification over all of the partying and family stuff. And so <clears throat> by January, you need... I mean, do you see kind of that... that it's, so you almost the expectation... I'll get a real booster shot, and then I'll coast back into slumber, and then I'll get another firing up, and then I'll use that little bit of momentum to coast. You see what I'm saying? The negative idea. Listen, being a spirit-filled person is not a chart that looks like this, right? Where you get it, lose it, get it, lose it, get it, lose it, get something and coast, get something and coast. That is not what's going on in the issue of revival. Actually, the uh, phase two of revival, receiving from the Lord, is an important part if you need it. 
But uh, right at the outset of this message, I'd, I'd like to declare, wouldn't it be wonderful if we never needed it, that we could walk daily in the life of God? And so my little phrase, I'm against revival, but I'm very much for vival, okay? Because I don't like the idea that, um, I hope we don't need a revival after spring break where you all go off to Daytona and party hardy and run around in the sun naked and act like an idiot and get drunk. I mean, you know, what, what's spring break all about in the university, right? So debauchery. Yeah, we send you out for a week of debauchery and we schedule a really fiery revival the day you get back. I mean, what a, what a sick notion of being Christian. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I hope you'll agree with that. How many of you are going to date? I don't even want to ask the question. <laughs> but you get the, get, the, get the picture and you get the point? To be people of life all of the time. Nonetheless, it is true that in our spiritual walk, we can have very difficult periods where we become insensate to the presence of God, where we become, become numb or dulled or too busy or caught up in recreation or problems, or that we um, actually become rebellious to God, that we become frustrated with his constant nagging that we're supposed to be like Jesus. Right? Why did I word it that way? The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is a progressive work of improvement to be like Jesus Christ. And sometimes it becomes wearisome. And sometimes we face issues where we want to say, just back off and leave me alone. That, that's a part of our humanity, a fundamental rebellion against the kingdom of God being fully established in our lives. And so, revival. Phase one, <clears throat> that's the time of prayer. Revival's characterized usually by a couple of years of very intense prayer, prior to other things that happen. Phase one, reach up, cleanse me. Um, make me right, God. Fit me to be a habitation for the Holy Spirit. And it takes time to do that because during that time, God will take the idols out of your life. He will take those things that are taking up his time, place, and space. All right? And uh, Nick said, one of the things we, uh, we do is we give. One measure of our spirituality is not what we do during the praise service, but what we do during the receiving of the offering. Where generosity and liberality and care and concern and financial support for others. Even in mentioning that, it's like, oh, I think I like the praise part better than the giving part. You see what I'm saying? So God works with us, works in us to establish things. And it takes time in phase one for the cleansing, the preparation, the fitting of the house to make it uh, a home for God on earth. Phase two, that's often what's referred to, though, as revival. That's when God shows up, the Holy Spirit shows up, we have church, God moves, the hand of God falls, and, uh, and all of those things. That's a very real and wonderful part when you have a breakthrough. Those periodic breakthrough moments, if they're needed to be periodic, where actually the insulation and the crud that is on our soul and keeps us from being aware of the presence of God is cleansed away, and we feel the presence of God. I use the word feel and experience intentionally. That's where theology moves from your head 
to your heart, your emotion, your hands, and your feet. And it involves your entire being, and that's often the images that you get when God has a breakthrough. Walking people fall down. How many of you know the phrase, slain in the spirit? Slain in the spirit? <clears throat> One of the things of working with uh, young people is that things that happened 25 years ago could have just as well happened 250 years ago because <laughs> they're, they're before your lifetime. <clears throat> but the idea of being slain in the spirit, uh, and that is overcome by a sense of the power of God. And uh, sometimes people have difficulty understanding. So what is it about these revivals where people run, jump, shout, hoot, holler, shiver, quake, shake, fall down, jump up, run around, uh, you know, with all of that physical activity, all of that emotional activity. What is that all about? It's really very, very simple. I did a deep study on this whole idea of being slain in the spirit and why it happens, and here's the answer to it. Why do people fall down? It's because they can't stand up. <clears throat> that's, um, that's the answer to it. <clears throat> okay. Well, why can't they stand up? Listen, have you ever been so scared that your body did things you couldn't control? Right? right. Scream out loud. I mean, just uh, some kind of an explosion that overcomes your normal state. Have any of you ever gotten shocked by electricity? Okay. Now, <laughs> listen. You know what's really funny about this whole culture thing? You will find that Germans and Swedes and Africans and Indonesians all pretty well act the same when they poke their finger in a light socket. Right? The, uh, sometimes people say, well, I'm just not, I'm just not, uh, my, my mother was English, my dad was Swedish, I'm Northern European, we're, we're just not very emotional, and that's why I, I just don't respond uh, the way. Look, you can take a Swede, and all the rest of them have them put their finger in a light socket, and you're going to get pretty much the same response, right? My background, I was actually saved in an Assemblies of God church. But my folks left the Assemblies of God, joined a church that was anti-assemblies, anti-Pentecostal, anti-emotion, anti-everything, and was very much in favor of uh, prosperity and wealth and dignity and class and a whole bunch of those things, right? And um, <clears throat> so my, my upbringing was not in a situation just even like the worship we just had, you know. Just, no, no, it was... I grew up thinking church and going to church was much like going to a funeral, right? Dignity. So you had church, funeral. Church, funeral. And we called all of that dignity. It wasn't dignity, it was just death. But the word dignity or order was a smokescreen for non-responsiveness to the presence of God, okay? But I was trained that way, and I was trained very well. I ended up on staff of a charismatic church in Southern California. I was not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, it's a crazy story, I, I won't tell you the whole story, but there are some very unusual sovereign things in your life God will do. I ended up on staff of a charismatic church. I didn't know they were, they didn't know I wasn't. And I was on staff, and I remember the first Wednesday night, when I went to a service, the first service I attended of that church, I was on the platform, and all of my worst nightmares about Pentecostal people 
came true that night. They were running, jumping, shouting, hollering. I thought I'd been dropped into an insane asylum, you know, <clears throat> so to speak. But I knew they had something. The Jesus People Movement in California and the charismatic renewal up and down the West Coast and then all across America. It was a powerful move of the Spirit of God. And um, it was the, the becoming capable of responding and sensing the presence of God. And some of you may have that in your own background. I remember the first time I raised my hands in, in worship and praise. It was like, wow, that's just... <laughs> That's really something, you know. <laughs> Access, you know. <laughs> How many of you have that in your background? Any of you? Did you have some of that development? Uh, Jeff, you too? You, you remember the first time? This is our journey. And now you jump and you shout and you clap. And yeah. Responding to the presence of God, not putting on a show. Now, I know Jeff Leo very well. It's no show. It's a heart sensitive to God. I don't, I don't put on a show. Actually, my first response to an awareness of the Spirit of God is tears. That's the first one. When the Spirit moves, I leak. <laughs> Just, it's a stirring, do you know that? The sense that God is present. And so in phase two, walking people fall down and exuberant things happened. Uh, Paul is a great example. He was struck by the power of God, fell to the ground, and was blinded. That's an amazing thing, uh, the God touching his physical body. But that's not the end of it. In fact, while phase two is a part of revival, it is not the heart of revival. There's another phase, the one that we are drawing attention to this morning, and that's phase three. Phase one, cleanse me. Phase two, fill me. It's to me. It's for me. Walking people fall down. We celebrate the presence of God. But phase three is the continuation of the plan and will of God for the work of the Spirit. Use me. This now, the, the tone changes very significantly. It's not to me and for me, it's through me for them. Now, it's important that we have both of these in our lives, times when it's to me and for me, devotional life, prayer life, spending time uh, in the presence of Jesus. I need that. In fact, you could call that the journey inward. Those times of being in the presence of God, allowing your soul to be saturated, your mind to be saturated and cleansed, your conscience, your whole being to experience the presence of God to me, for me. But listen, you don't want to camp out there and think that our spiritual life is all about to me and for me because there's much more to it, and that's through me, for them. And at that point, it's very, very different. Phase two, walking people fall down. Phase three, lame people get up. Phase two, we celebrate the presence of Jesus. Phase three, we celebrate the victories of Jesus. One of my favorite memories in pastoral ministry 
was, I would call it a phase three uh, experience with one couple in the church, Chuck and Esther Dearman. They were older people, retired. Chuck was a heavy equipment operator. They were both in their second marriage, and their first marriages had just about destroyed both those people. Ungodly people had never been in church. Chuck had drunk at least a quart of whiskey every day of his life. He smoked two to three packs of cigarettes a day. He had lost one lung <clears throat> to cancer. And uh, he smoked, chewed tobacco, and swore. And, um, <clears throat> but they were people, they were hungry for God. And they were watching television and saw a television evangelist. And let me say something about this. Sometimes, you know, we, we criticize things and Sometimes I wonder if anyone would ever get saved watching some of the tele-evangelists. You, you know what I mean? Sometimes we just, some, some of that stuff just unnerves me. But they came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about their lives. And uh, watching a television, they gave their lives to Jesus. And the evangelist said, now you need to go find a church and get involved in church. I was leaving our church one day, and this car pulled in, Chuck and Esther Dearman. I'd never met them before in my life. They pulled in and they said, it was amazing, I rolled down my window. They said, um, <clears throat> we're looking for a church to attend. Could we attend here? And I mean, I'd never been asked that question before. You know, it was like I said, yeah, you can. And they said, okay, see you Sunday. They drove away and I sat there wondering, what is this all about? <laughs> Sunday, Chuck and Esther Dearman sitting right out there. They had been born again. And they were beginning the cleansing process. First Wednesday night, every, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, back in the years when we had those three services all the time, Wednesday night, first time, Chuck Dearman got up. We had a little testimony time, a little testimony. Now, Chuck had never been in church, so he didn't know how to do a Christian testimony, so he just got up and told the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, he was so it was just so beautiful. He said, he told his story, Chuck and or Esther and I and all that. He said, <clears throat> he said, I really want to be a good Christian, but I've got all kinds of problems. He said, I actually I don't drink anymore, and I'm really glad for that. Uh, but he said, <clears throat> I smoke, I chew, I swear, I can't control it. Would all of you people pray for me that I can get better? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, and our congregation didn't go, you go out there and get cleaned up, and when you do, then you can be a part of our group, you know. So we prayed for Chuck and Esther. Oh, three months later, he got up. He said, you know, I've quit smoking. I never thought I'd smoke my whole life. I've quit smoking. But I love to chew. I can't give that up. And I've got a mouth like a sailor. It's awful. Keep praying for me. You know, we said, we'll keep praying. And over the course of a year, he gave about four testimonies like that. And we celebrated the victories of Jesus in the life of this wonderful, wonderful couple. Now, you see, that's a part of revival. Could I dare say maybe that's the most important part of all, celebrating the victories of the work of God. That's a phase three function. I'd like to put up the slide, this, the second slide this morning, which is what I call the strong version of the Great Commission. It's actually found in Matthew 10, and it reads like this. You can see it there. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority 
over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And as you go, preach, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Just look at the words in the text there. They're wonderful. They're marvelous. They stir your soul when he said, I will give you authority. I will give you common, ordinary fishermen and tax collectors. I will give you power. I will give you authority to cast out demons. The kingdom of God has come. Wednesday of this week, Dr. Lon Flippo presented, I think, the single finest message I've ever heard on spiritual warfare. It was short because of our time. It was clear. It was concise. It was absolutely spot on, on target. Gave a bit of his own testimony of, of life and how life can create difficulties for you and create opportunities for the devil to batter you and bash you. Talked about the discipling and the growing, and, and I've told Lon a couple of times, I, I went home, preached a sermon to my wife. It was, <laughs> I said, this was just great, spiritual warfare. Um, but the essence of the work of God is bringing the kingdom of God to people who need to come under the reign and rule and the authority of God and to be delivered from bondage to sin and wickedness and all of the things of the demonic and worldly and, and ungodly realm. We don't preach the kingdom enough. The kingdom has come. The reign of God has come. The rule of God has come. To make it possible for Chuck Dearman to win a victory over alcohol, tobacco, bad life habits. And those are just the surface things, the inner hurts and wounds. My dad and Chuck Dearman became very, very dear friends, spent a lot of time together. My dad, an older construction guy, Chuck, an older equipment guy, and my mom and Esther, and these new converts with these lifelong Christians, celebrating the greatness that the kingdom of God can actually come and turn a life entirely around even after it's been lived in bad habits for 60 years or more. That's one of the greatest, that is the message of the gospel, that you don't have to be bound in sin. You don't have to be, live under the oppression of the devil. You don't have to live with the habits of your family or your background. Listen, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Everybody has hurts and wounds. And the gospel message is you can be free. You can be free. You can be whole. You can be pure. You can be good. You don't have to be bound. That's the message of the gospel. And that's the essence of the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. So Jesus said to his disciples, okay. And you know, he didn't pick... When Paul says, not many mighty, not many noble. Listen, you can be mighty and noble and have no power over a devil at all. You can be rich and have condos around the world. And the demons will simply laugh and sneer at you if you try to exercise any authority over them. And you can be as common as ordinary shoe leather 
but anointed with the Holy Spirit, given authority by God, saturated with His presence. The work of the Spirit can flow through you, out of you, and make you an agent of healing and liberation. It's, this is the message that God has come to earth to seek and to save those who are lost and to engage us in the process. Yesterday, Jim Bifford said, God doesn't do it all, all by himself. He puts us into action with him. I thought that was a great way. He puts us into action with him. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. But don't go until you have received the power and the authority to do so. The demonic, we, we don't, perhaps we need to upgrade our understanding of the work of the demonic. It's very, very crafty. In fact, um, last night I, I just took a, actually an old paper commentary looked up every occasion that I could find of words like lie, deception, craftiness, wiliness, deceiving, deceived, all of, all of the works of the devil. There are about 60 or so references just in the New Testament about the craftiness of the enemy, a wily foe. And uh, it's not hard to <laughs> have a group of people say, hey, spring break, <clears throat> right? We could use that. Let's all get together, get drunk, do drugs, Right, get naked, run around in the sun, have an orgy, rob a bank, and don't wave your hands if that's your plan. <laughs> Lay hands on him and cast that spirit right out of him right now. <laughs> I, will, I will assume we are being humorous this morning. <laughs> Good. Okay. And then let's go rob a bank and murder somebody. All right, if, if a group of people said that, you say, you know... That might be demonic. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> it's the more crafty, wily, deceptive works of the enemy that need the presence of God, and the inspiration and direction of the scriptures, because the enemy is very, very crafty. He will not attack you where you're strong and awake and capable. He attacks you where you're weak and um, you don't understand it. The work of the devil is deadly. Comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And yet when Jesus took this group, small group of ordinary people, he said, okay, I'm going to send you out. And I'm going to give you authority over all the power of the devil. And then you go out, and here's your job. Here's your job. <laughs> Pass out tracks and smile and try to be friendly. Right? No, he said, this is why I call it the strong version. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out devils. And I say, me? He said, yeah, you. I said, how? How? The Spirit of God flowing through people to become agents of the establishment of the kingdom of God in Chuck and Esther Dearman, Freddie Graff. You know, I, I love honest people who are making their way toward the image of Jesus. Freddie Graff was a butcher in Nebraska, moved to Oregon, 
Freddie and I became very wonderful. He played guitar. Freddie Graff, actually, in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, Willie Nelson grew up in Vancouver, Washington, and moved to Texas later. And Freddie Graff, when Willie Nelson was first getting started, gave him guitar lessons. <laughs> it's an interesting world. But he had, <clears throat> we played guitar together and sang. <clears throat> Freddie gave his testimony once. He said, you know, my life is just all messed up. Kind of a similar, my life was just all messed up. And everything was going wrong. And uh, it was just my marriage was a wreck. My kids were a wreck. So finally, I just said to myself, well, hell, Freddie, why don't you go to church and get saved? I remember that wonderful testimony. That's those are exactly what he said. Do you know what our people did? Yay, that's great, Freddie, you know. <laughs> now, I don't recommend maybe any kind of crude language and testimony, but I do recommend honesty and openness and expressing your desire. And Freddie, he would lead in worship. This, this guy, he plays guitar, he would cry, he'd sing hymns and choruses. This is the work of the kingdom. This is the work of healing, of restoring. And young people, this is our work. You say, okay, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. No problem. Okay. Pretty soon I'll be a North Central graduate. I'll get credentials with the AG. The minute I get that card, I will be a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> no, you won't. <clears throat> no, you won't. What makes you a force to be reckoned with is when the Spirit of God flows into you and flows out of you and makes you able to do the work of the kingdom. Three phases of revival could be three periodic sequential phases, experiences we work our way through, that lead us to three permanent conditions in our lives. Can I say that again? Three phases that lead to three permanent conditions. That we're also always people of prayer, always cleaning up the sanctuary, always cleaning up the house of God. That's why in a few moments we're going to go to prayer. That we're always people of celebrating the presence in praise and worship and clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Always, not in any mimicry, not only just for the enjoyment of the aesthetic part of music, but for participation in the prophetic part of praise and worship. <laughs>